The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, we give thanks that you are a God who loves us no matter where we are in life. Amen. My guess is that today's a pretty familiar story to most of us, if not all of us, called the parable of the prodigal son. Mark Twain once said that this was the greatest short story ever written. And while it might be that, I just wonder sometimes if it becomes too familiar to us. As someone I read this week said, we know this story so well, we handle this story so much that it almost goes limps on us because we know it so well. Well, today I'd like to try to rid ourselves, at least for a time, of how familiar this story is. And I want you to pretend with me that you've never heard this story. Let's imagine that we've never heard it and that it ended where Jay finished our reading today with the father exclaiming, let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, he's alive again, he was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. What might we say about this story with this ending? Let's say we're probably disappointed in the son that he made the choices he made and ran off and squandered his inheritance. He ended up with nothing and nobody cared about him at all. And yet, deep within us somewhere, maybe we can say that we can identify with this young man to some degree. No, maybe we haven't gone to the extremes that this young man goes to, but maybe we can identify times in our lives when we have broken relationships with other people. Times when we have harmed ourselves, times we've harmed other people by the things we've done or said. I mean, consider the first part of the prayer of confession, which we pray in this season. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we've done, by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with all our hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. If we actually mean that when we pray it, I think we would have to admit, at least in the heart of our hearts, that we can identify with this son. And yes, we can disagree over whether or not this, this son is actually contrite and repentant when he comes home to his father. The traditional slant on that story is that he comes home and he's a changed person and now he's, you know, he's, he's like he should be. But the story itself says that he came to himself. It never says that he repents, even though in the two parables right before this, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, it says that Jesus talks about the, the sinners who repent. But we don't see that word here. I read this week that that son's confession sounds eerily similar to one that Pharaoh has in the book of Exodus toward Moses and Aaron. Maybe you remember the story of the ten plagues. After the eighth plague, Pharaoh was so um, overcome with the, the horror of these plagues, he goes to Moses and Aaron and he says this, he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Of course, if we kept reading on in that story, we realized that Pharaoh really didn't mean it. 
because he was seen soon back to his old evil ways. I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you, Pharaoh says. That sounds a lot like what the young son says. I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you is how he puts it. Or I've sinned against heaven and before you is how he puts that. I read this from that same person that pointed that out. That maybe just the young son is saying, I'll go on home to daddy and act religious. Now all that being said, when we could disagree whether the son is really changed or not, or he just comes home because he's hungry and after the party he may just take back on off. The main thing about that is it doesn't seem that the father cares, does it? The father's been waiting and waiting, and now that he sees his son coming home, he runs out to him, and all he cares about is that the son is home. Before the son can say anything, the the dad has grabbed him and wrapped his arms around him and kissed him. And it's almost like he brushes aside the son's confession and tells the slaves to go and get a big party ready, because my son is home. I mean, if the father doesn't care about his son being sincere or not, at least not in this story. How can we be anything other than just happy for the father? Maybe a bit skeptical, a bit worried for the father's sake. But ask yourself, wouldn't any of us do the same thing to a son who returns home? How can we not identify When he rejoices, get the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to celebrate. This son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. What a happy ending to a story of grace and love. But we know that that's not the story's end, is it? I'll go ahead and read the rest of it. Now the elder son was out in the field... When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave replied, your, father, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice Because his brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he's been found. As we add this second part to the story, my guess is it's very hard not to sympathize with this older son. Now some want to say that the older son is being self-righteous or arrogant. But I don't see that at all. I just think the the older son is doing what I know I would do. This isn't fair. And it's not. 
He's been the good son, faithful. He's never left. And dad never even threw him a little bitty party. I can understand the resentment, the pain, the bitterness that this older son must have. He's angry at his brother. He's angry at his dad. How can we not relate to that? If you agree with me on that, notice where we've come. Before we read that second part, we were sort of identifying with the younger son. We were happy for the dad. But now... We're out there with the son, the older son, standing out in the field, mad at the dad and mad at the son, because that's not fair. I can't say for sure, but my guess is the father realizes this. I think he understood where the older son is coming from. Some want to say about this story that the father obviously loves the younger son more than the older son. But I don't agree. We're quick to notice how the father runs out to greet the younger son and, and has all the stuff prepared for him. But then we might miss how the father goes out to the older son too. The story tells us that the father came at him again to plead with his older son. The word plead here... In Greek is parakleo. The noun for that word is parakletos, which means comforter. It's the word that John uses in his gospel for the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Father comes out to not only try to plead to his older son, but to comfort his older son in his anger. And we notice the extravagant display that he shows for the younger son. But did you hear what he said to the older son? Son, you're with me always. All that is mine is yours. I don't think the father tries to dismiss the cry of the older son that it's not fair. But in the end, the father tells this loyal but very angry son, Son, we just had to celebrate. And rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and he's come to life. He was lost and he's been found. And with that pleading, the father goes back to the party. Leaving the older son to decide whether he's going to go in or not. You see, the, the older son may be 100% right in his anger. But he's also 100% alone. Then the story ends with so many questions left unanswered. Did the younger son stay home after the party? Is he really changed or is he going to take off again after he wakes up the next morning with a full belly? How about the older son? What did he do? Did he stay outside the party with his bitterness intact? Or did he go to the party? And if he did go to the party, did he say anything to his brothers? Did the, the brothers ever come to some sort of reconciliation? We never know. All these questions and more. Maybe that's what makes it for a good story. We, we want more. But what might we be encouraged 
to think about in the aftermath of this story. I think one thing that I need to think about, and if you're like me, maybe you are in this, maybe we are in this, and it's kind of how I tried to do this story. The first part, we celebrated with the, with the father. We, we kind of recognized that we are similar to the younger son in some ways. So we were happy for him too. We were embracing the grace and the love. And then the second part though, we bring in the older son and our thoughts change to resentment toward the younger son and to the father because this is not fair. What does it mean that we shift like that? Why can't we just be happy for the younger son and for the dad? What might be the reason why my mind, your mind, our mind changes when we add that second part to the story? You know, usually the father in the story is compared to God's actions toward us. Because God welcomes those who are lost and those who've never left. That's hard for many of us to accept. Especially those of us who feel like we've never left. Even though when we pray the prayer of confession, we have left. It can be very tempting to want to make sure that those who might come back prove themselves that they're worthy to be welcomed back. Of course, the church has done that for years. We make conditions on people who might want to embrace Christ as Lord. We tell them you've got to believe the right things, you've got to practice the right things, and you certainly can't be like those people. I know that realistically, most of us can never have that pureness that the Father has because we want things to be fair. And frankly, I don't think this story is fair. But I wonder if we might consider some of the ways of the Father in our own lives. For instance, how might I or you or we be on the lookout for those who are broken and lost, who, who no one else cares about? How might we offer welcome to such people and then get others to welcome them too, hoping that some of these others might help support this person who is the least and the last and the lost. Or maybe how might I or you or we find ways to focus more on how we welcome people instead of expecting them to do this or that before we will welcome them into our lives. And you know, sometimes I or you or we, we might be 100% right in being against someone whom others have welcomed. But I wonder how I or you or we might just quit stewing in our rightness. And then, of course, there's a chance that the person that you or me or we embrace, well, that person might reject our outreach and our love. That person might just do what the younger son might have done after this story and just took off again. Instead of being used, I wonder how I or you or we might just accept that we've done what we could and that perhaps maybe someday that person might come back again 
And hopefully if they come back, perhaps we might welcome them again. There once was a young son. There once was an older son. There once was a welcoming father. All of us, in some ways, are all three of those characters. But among us is the God who always welcomes and always loves. Thanks be to God. Amen.